So, can any of you remember your first job? Some of you are chuckling because you remember how bad it was or how fun it was or whatever. I, I don't know what all memories flood your mind when you hear that. But I remember my first job was uh, I uh, uh, was a, a lawnmower. Uh, I went and mowed lawns. And it started, my next door neighbor, Miss Eloise, uh, she needed her yard mowed. And I think she had mentioned something to my dad. Some dad's like, why don't you go over there and talk to her and see if she'll let you mow her yard. And dad had made this agreement with us that, hey, look, you guys do the work. I'll make sure you've got the equipment. That was kind of the deal. And, uh, and so I went over, talked to Miss Eloise, started mowing the yard. Anybody else mow yards when you were growing up? Yeah, I make it. man, it's good money, right? And uh, it was a good little deal, and, and I had a good, good gig going. And so I started there, and then pretty soon had more, more houses on our block, and then pretty soon we had other people in our church that we were part of at the time saying, hey, you can mow, mow our yard, and then a couple of businesses. And so, man, it turned into a pretty lucrative deal. And uh, it, was, it was pretty sweet because at that point, work wasn't about paying the bills, Right? Work was about padding the pockets and getting stuff that my parents weren't going to buy for me. Uh, and so it was a pretty sweet deal. I had, my, you know, I had a place to live. I had food to eat. I had all those necessities because my parents took care of that. And I just got to make some money and uh, be able to spend it on stuff that I wanted to spend it on and learn how to use money and um, all those kind of things. But you know, as you get older, work gets more complicated. And especially it gets complicated when your work uh, is, the, you know, you're trying to get a paycheck to pay for all your stuff. Right? So you got to pay for your house and your cars and your food and the kids who eat all your food. And all those things that start happening, you gotta, you got you to get a job. And so then it becomes more stressful. And then also as you get older, you don't want to just mow, mow yards necessarily. Uh, or you may, may not, I don't know what, what you guys do now. But for me, like, I was like, okay, I don't feel like that's where I'm going to spend all of my life. And so I found another job and then another job. And wherever you, you land, you kind of, kind of work your way up and you get these different jobs. And you hopefully find a, a job where you're working in your passions, the things that you really want to do, not just the things you have to do, right? And so, but work is a big deal. It's, a, it's an important thing. And it's interesting that as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, uh, whatever you want to call, call me in that, um, I get to talk to people about what's stressing them, what's, what's going on in their lives. And a lot of my conversations with people revolve around work. In fact, a lot of the prayer requests we get um, as a church are about work. Uh, stresses at work, uh, employees that are, you know, bothering them, uh, the a job loss, concern about losing their job, bad bosses, and hardship and stress and anxiety that comes from that. I um, mean, we get a lot of those kind of prayer requests. And, and we also, when you think about it, back off just a sec, I mean, we spend a lot of time at work, right? I mean, most of us spend more time at work. If you, if you have a, a job that pays, you spend more time with people at work than you do your own family. Like, think about that. that that's, that's an interesting thought. They're kind of like a, another family, another set of relationships that you're connected to. And so work is a big deal. And, and I've seen many people, their life kind of rises and falls based, based on work. Um, in fact, in the United States, every month, roughly 4 million people lose or leave their job. And every month, roughly 4 million people start a new job. And some of you may be in the process of looking for a job right now. Maybe you don't have a job, and maybe your job is to find a job, right? But we all have work to do. And I've talked to men even in, who, who have lost their jobs along the way and what it does to them and how it affects them and impacts them when they don't have something to do when they get up in the morning. Um, if you know much about kind of our culture uh, and you mo- know much about some of the, the uh, things that we've observed through research is that it shows us that when men, particularly men, uh, retire, that when they retire from their job, their health declines. 
Now, that's not everybody, but in general, we see a lot of health decline because men, they, they kind of lose their purpose. They lose their get up in the morning and go do something. Uh, they, don't have, they don't feel like they've got this, something driving them, and so a lot of times they can, uh, they can actually lose their health because they've lost sight of that. But what's interesting is it's not all the bad stuff that makes work important to us. Uh, we know it's important. We know it's a big deal. In fact, the University of Cal Berkeley, they did a study that revealed that when, when asked... Over 70% of people said they would keep working even if they had enough money to not have to work, right? Anybody feel like that would be you? Okay, all right, we'd all raise our hand, right? We, uh, we, would, we would keep working even if we had enough money to stop working. Why? Because we want to be productive. We, we want to be a contributor, not just a consumer. I, I think that's in us, and we're going to talk about why that's in us today. But I also know that for many of you who walk through the doors today, your work is giving you a lot of tension. And that tension is not just in your own personal life. It's creating stress at home. It's creating stress in your relationships with those people that you love and care about. And it just causes all kinds of problems. And the question is not just, um, you know, what do you do for work or, or any of those things. It's, it's why is work important and how does work, this temporary thing that we do called work, how does it actually connect to something that's going to last? How is it going to matter what you're doing right now with your work 100 years from now, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, if God lets the world continue to spend that long, right? Um, what, what's, what, how, what's the connection? How does, this, how does this have meaning? How does it have purpose? Well, there's two primary distortions before we get to the text today that I think I see consistently uh, in people's lives. When I talk to people about work, there's two primary distortions. There's kind of two issues that, that surface pretty quickly. One, I see a lot of people or hear a lot of people talk about work as if it's their life. Work is life. So they pour all of their energy, all of their passion, all of their strength into their work, okay? And the problem with this is when you overemphasize work, we call that an idol, right? You begin to idolize work. And when you idolize work, what that means is that you find all of your satisfaction, all of your joy, all of your hopes, all of your desires are wrapped up and tied to your work, right? And so I see people who, that's, their, that's kind of their thing. They are completely consumed by their work. And so they see work as this thing that's going to deliver. It may, they may not have gotten there yet. They're climbing the ladder. They're making bigger paychecks. Life is getting better. They're contributing to society. And they're hopeful that somehow they're going to reach this point of satisfaction in work. But I just want you to know this morning, I'm not going to dig into this deep yet, but you're not going to find it in work, okay? Work is great, but it's not going to lead you to the ultimate satisfaction, to the ultimate joy. I hate to burst your bubble this morning, okay? For those of you who have been around for a little while, those of you who have worked many years, you get this, right? You realize that this is the case. But also, there's other people in the room today, your, your deal is not so much work is, is life, but yours is life is work. I think a lot of people, this is how they view work, right? Life is work. And, and so this, is, this looks more like uh, complaining about work, complaining about my coworkers, complaining about the job I have that doesn't pay me enough, complaining, complaining about how many hours my boss requires, and yet he doesn't work very much and he gets 18 times more than I get. I mean, all these things that I hear people talk about and that work uh, is this thing that just is so bad, it's, they loathe it. They hate it. They, they just don't like work. And I see this consistently. In fact, I went to Google this week, because that's where you go when you need wisdom, right? 
So I went to Google and I typed in this phrase, work makes me, and stopped there. And you know how Google works? It puts predictive words in there. Like, what's the next word in the sentence? Can you, can you, can you tell me what came up next? <laughs> let, let me tell you what came up next, okay? These were the top ones. Just, I just went down and put the top ones on there. Number one, depressed. Next, nervous. Suicidal. Tired. Sick. Angry. Sad. Cry. Drink. Okay, that's what Google says, okay? And Google is the all-wise of the internet, right? But this seriously shows us that culturally speaking, like, we've got an issue with work. Like, this is how we think about work? Well, what is the right way to think about work? What is the Bible's view on work? What does God have to say about work? I realized this morning not every person in this room is a believer in Christ. Not every person has put their trust in Jesus for their salvation. And I want you to know this is a safe place to come to explore faith, to ask questions, to even prod us. And even if you have rocks to throw, you can throw them. That's okay. We, we still love you. But here's the thing. Um, if you're a Christ follower, if you believe in Jesus this morning, then you need to know what God says about work because it's important. It's important to God. And I think Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 is the place we want to start. And then we're going to kind of zoom out and then zoom back in. Okay, so you guys going to hang with me this morning? All right. If somebody starts to snore or fall asleep next to him, to you, just give him a bow. All right. So, Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the seats under you. The scripture will also be on the screen, but I encourage you to read it for yourself off the page. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. We ended at 21 last week as we talked about family. And we said that, you know, we, we talked about how wives should be submissive as unto the Lord. We talked about husbands loving your wife selflessly, sacrificially, all those things. We talked about how children should obey their parents. You kids do okay with that this week? Without excuse, without challenge, without delay, right? Perfectly, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so then we also talked about how men should teach their children and not exasperate them, and how they should not cause their children to be angry and lose heart because they're just throwing commands and not having a a relationship, not pursuing a relationship with them. So, verse 22, Paul writes this. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for his for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, supply your slaves with what is right and fair, since you know too that you too have a master in heaven. Now, when I read that passage, it's pretty straightforward, it's pretty direct on how we should approach work. Now, I know he uses the word slaves on the front end, and some of you probably feel like you are a slave in your workplace, right? Some of you may feel that way. But it is a little bit different, at least what Paul's trying to use here. He's talking about bond servants, and there were actually these people who would belong to a master. They would serve him all their days. They weren't treated like the slaves of the South. Uh, in our country, the horrific things that were done to many slaves in our country, uh, slavery there was a very normative thing. You would actually sell yourself to a person to pay off your debts. 
uh, to take care of things. And every seven years, if you were Jewish, you were set free. So you actually had an opportunity to no longer be a slave every seven years when they had the year of Jubilee. And that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But what we do see is that Paul's talking about work. And he's talking about how someone who is subordinate to a master has to work for someone, how they should operate. And there's a theme here. Anytime you see repetition in the language, you back off and you say, okay, there's some kind of bigger picture that God's pointing us to. And if you notice in the text, he says the Lord several times. And at the end, uses the word master. In fact, verse 22, the first verse we read, he says at the end, fearing the Lord. Then whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as done for the Lord. And then 24, we get an inheritance from the Lord. And then at the end of that verse, you serve the Lord. And at the very end of the passage, he says you two have a master, capital M master, referring to the Lord. Okay, so are you tracking? You with me? So we're seeing that he's got this theme. So the question we have to ask is how is work and the Lord connected? How is work and our faith connected? How is our work, what we do with our hands, what we do with our lives, the skills that God's given us, how, do we, how is that connected with God and his purpose and his kingdom, his agenda for our lives? Well, I think we have to zoom out for a minute, and I think this will be helpful, but the more I studied this week, I realized we really need to stop at some point in the near future and do a whole series on work. Because this is such a big deal, because I see so many people's lives like this because of their work, because I know in my own heart that work is something that can bring a lot of stress, we need to get a handle on what God has to say about it. He's got a lot of good wisdom for us in the area of work. But let's go back to Genesis, the book of Genesis. Anybody know what the word Genesis means? Beginnings, the book of beginnings. Let's go back and look at the book of Genesis for just a second and get a framework for what work is all about. Because God is the author of life, God is the author of all the things that we see, creator, that's what we hold to as Christians, we need to look at what he says about it. So Genesis 1.1, the very first verse in the very first chapter, the very beginning of the Bible says, in the beginning God created, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that tell us? God creates, that means God works. God, the one who made us, he works. In fact, I'm not going to put it up on the screen right now, but in Genesis 2, just one chapter removed from this verse, it shows us that he works and that he had been doing all this work. Now, his work's a little easier than our work, right? He just says, let there be light. Boom, there's light. It would be nice if our work was like that, right? Yeah, let this widget be made. Boom, and it's made, right? Whatever it might be that you do, it'd be nice if you could just speak it. But it does say that God works. Okay, and, and we get this because not only is this important to understand that God works, but he says in that same chapter that we were created in his image. We are image bearers, which means we reflect who he is. We are like him. This is important for us because when we work, we reflect our creator. When we work, we reflect the one who made us. We reflect God who works. Secondly, Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? What did God do after he created man? He gave him a job. He gave him a task. And it was to watch over 
creation. It was actually, we know, to cultivate it and to help it flourish. So second thing we need to know is that God gives us work. Now, for those of you, this is, this is, really, this is really key here, okay? <clears throat> this happened prior to the fall, prior to when sin entered the world, according to the biblical narrative, okay? That's important because for some of us, when we think about uh, paradise, heaven, eternity, what we think about is no more work. <sighs> we can finally rest. We won't have to work anymore. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but I think what this is telling us is that we will actually have work to do when we get to heaven. In fact, there are other passages, and we can't go there this morning, but you and I are going to have stuff to do. We're not just going to sit on a cloud with a golden fleece diaper and a heart for eternity, okay? <laughs> we are going to actually be busy doing work because work is a good thing. Work is a God thing. It's from him, and we want to be productive with our work. But I think it's also important that we move on from there to realize that Genesis 2, 1 through 3 so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. By the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day. He declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. Now you see again, God works, but what does he do? He not only works, but he rests. Work has limits. You and I are not wired to work 24-7, 365. If we do, we will die. Because we are not created that way. We're not God. We're not unlimited in power. We're not unlimited in rest and strength. It says in the Bible that God never sleeps. He never slumbers. And yet, he models for us in this passage, on the seventh day, he rested. And I think one of the key words or key ideas behind this is that and this is a sermon in of itself that we'll have to come back to one day, is if we think that we don't need to rest, we are basically saying we're God, right? We're saying we've, we've got this covered. We don't, we don't need rest. And we see a lot of workaholism. We see a lot of things that drive us in our culture where we're working all the time around the clock. And I know for some of us, work is our escape. It's like if I work, I don't have to go home and deal with what's going on at home. Let's be honest, right? There's some folks who are like, I just stay at the office a little longer. I don't have to deal with a nagging wife and disobedient kids. Uh, there's other people in the room. You know, work is just, it's, it's an escape from the realities that when you get still, when you get quiet, you remember kind of who you are and how messed up you are. And so it's easy to stay busy. If I can just be busy doing work, then I don't have to think about all that other stuff going on. But the reality is work has its limits. Work can't give us life. We need to rest. And if you don't have a day in your week where you just stop and rest. I'm not talking about oh, a day in your week you don't do anything. I have six children. There is never a day we don't do anything, okay? I know I watch my wife all the time, and she is constantly going. Um, and, and so the reality is, but there are days where we can say to ourselves, I'm not going to produce. I'm not going to spend all of my time trying to, to work to produce something. We're going to be restful. And part of being restful is celebrating what God has done. Part of being restful is thanking God for the productivity of our lives, thanking God for all that he has done in our lives, actually enjoying those things, stopping to enjoy food and drink and community and just the, the nature that God's given us, the world he's put, it, put us in, to just stop and enjoy. 
And if you're not doing that today, you are not experiencing work the way God wants you to experience it. Okay, I've got to move on. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. You will eat, by the, eat breads by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. Now, this passage, I just read it to you. We've kind of fast-forwarded a little bit in the story. But this is after Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. They rejected his one rule. They ate the fruit from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And now sin has entered the world, and God is giving them the repercussions of that. He's telling, you, telling them this is what's going to happen. This is the curse, we call it. And notice what he says about work. What? It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful labor. We don't even know what work would be like if it wasn't for all the thorns and the thistles. And some of those thorns and thistles have names, right? I mean, let's be honest. In our workplace, some of those, those thorns, are, they have a name. And, and, and some of those issues we face, they have a process. And so we know that, that work is, is difficult. It's challenging. It's hard. It, things don't come easy because we live in a fallen, cursed world. Because some of you might be thinking, you know, if work's from God, if it's so good, why is it so hard and frustrating? Why does it create so much pain in my life? Well, because we don't live doing the work like Adam and Eve did before the fall. We live in a fallen world. There's anger. There's bitterness. There's rudeness. There's selfishness. There's pride. There's power plays. There's bosses who want to be in charge because it makes them feel like they've got value. There's, there's coworkers who are trying to compete with each other. And, and push each other down and cut each other down. All those things are true in our workplaces. I mean, workplaces are sometimes dis- disastrous. They're, they're nasty places sometimes. Hopefully that's not your story. And I think there are some people I've talked to who love their workplace. They love their job. But it seems to be that that's less common. And that's because we live in a fallen world. But here's the hope, okay? Here's the hope. Work can be redeemed. Work can be redeemed. Let's go back to Colossians 3, and this is what redeemed work looks like, okay? This is what it looks like for us to actually work in the way that God originally designed. Verse 22, we we read it well ago, and just for the sake of making the point, let's, let's look at it again. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. So he's telling us that we should be submissive. How many of us have struggled to be submissive before. Every hand in the room, right? Every one of us, right? We've all struggled to be submissive. And notice what he says. Just like with last week's verse about kids obeying their parents in everything, he says, obey your master in everything. A true submission, an obedient heart that says, I'm going to do this. Now, if you are waiting for the perfect boss to be submissive, you're going to be waiting your entire life, right? Because they don't exist. If you are waiting for the, the boss from heaven, they are not going to be, uh, uh, they're not going to ever come into your workplace. That's not going to happen, okay? How many of you guys have watched the, the show Undercover Boss? It's, it's so cool. Like, just, I've only caught bits and pieces. I've never watched a whole episode from start to finish. But every time I watch it, it's just crazy, like, watching these bosses come in and see what their workers are doing, right? And sometimes they just have these epiphanies like, man, I treat my employees like trash, 
These people are like struggling over here. You know, sometimes they catch the employees doing things they shouldn't be doing, and it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a chaotic thing when uh, that happens, and they're embarrassed, and they call them out, you know, whatever, fire them. Um, but here's the thing. Submission is, is about ultimately looking past our boss to God. Just like we said last week, that in the home, women, you have to look past your imperfect husband and see Jesus and say, I'm going to honor Jesus despite the fact that my husband is not always worthy of my submission. I'm going to honor him anyway, Right? We have to be able to do the same thing in our workplace. That's what redeemed work looks like because we know there's a big boss. Not just that boss, but there's a big boss, a bigger boss, and he's, his name is God. He's the biggest boss. He's the king. He's over everything. And so we're going to honor him even if it doesn't feel like we want to honor that earthly master. Notice what he also says. Do, don't work only while being watched. Now, I know no one in here struggles with this, right? Like, your boss walks in the door, and you're like, oh, Facebook, mm, ESPN, you know. Like, nobody struggles with that, right? No, we live in a culture where we're distracted all the time, and it's really easy to work on stuff that's not really work. And, 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 and what he's saying here is redeemed work, work that looks like the way God intended and designed, is work where we honor our boss and our work even when no one's looking. This is a lost art amongst the young generation. I'll be honest with you guys. I see this. I see a lot of young people, and they want to they wanna get paid for as little as possible. The little has worked. And I wonder why we're so unproductive. I mean, statistics show how much time we just waste at work. I think we could work a lot less hours if we would be busy doing what we're supposed to do at our workplace. Now, I know I'm stepping on some toes here this morning, but I'm just telling you, Redeem Work says we do it even when our boss isn't looking over our shoulder. Why? Because they are worthy? No. Because God is worthy. We should work with integrity. What about this? He says, work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Anybody feeling challenged this morning? Wholeheartedly. Like, how do you work wholeheartedly? You work passionately. You give yourself to it. And I'm not talking again about what I said on the front end about worshiping your work. I'm not talking about working yourself to death. But I am saying that when you're working, you're working passionately. You're, you're doing your work. And, and I think it's important for us to understand, again, because of God's purpose, that when you're working To make the world a better place, you are accomplishing God's purpose. You are helping the world flourish. So you should do, and I should do, the best that we can do, wholeheartedly working for that. And if you honestly are working at a workplace, just a a side note here, if you are working at a workplace where you honestly can say, I cannot obey this earthly master, there is a lack of integrity, there is a lack of transparency, there there are some issues illegally going on, you need to pray and you need to find a different workplace. If you genuinely know that you cannot cope with the issues that are there, then you need to pray about that and find another workplace. But if you know that your boss, they may not be perfect, in fact, they may not be a believer, they may not have the same views as you do, but you know God's put you there, then you need to stay there and you need to work wholeheartedly, right? God's using that, that, that position, that place uh, to, to help pay the bills in your family, to support your family, and so don't just abandon ship because it's hard. Because it's going to be hard anywhere and everywhere, okay? The, last, the next thing he says there is he says, um, not only wholeheartedly, but whatever you do, do it enthusiastically. Anybody go to work in the morning with enthusiasm? I know some people that do, and they're the annoying person at work, <laughs> right? Everybody's like, what is wrong with that joker? I mean, did he have like 18 cups of coffee this morning or what? Like, somebody shut him up, right? That's kind of, you, you see these guys. Now, I'm not saying go be a dork. I'm not saying like go bounce off the walls, you know, hey, I'm so glad I'm at work. Um, 
for some reason, I had a flashback to the office that showed, like, anyway, but that's a whole other thing. But listen, like, we need to, to be enthusiastic about our work, again, because we see that it has a bigger purpose. We see it has a bigger point. We see it has a bigger picture, okay? We can be enthusiastic. We can be excited about it. Again, if you just cannot get excited about your work because you feel like it doesn't match your skills, you don't feel like it's matched up with who you, who you are and who God's wired you to be, then pray and ask God to put you in a place where you can be excited and passionate about what you do, okay? And I believe he'll answer that prayer if, if you're honoring him in that. And then he goes on, he says, as something done for the Lord and not for men, continue to appeal to the big boss, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. We get an inheritance, eternal life, Talk about that in a sec. You serve the Lord Christ. He is our ultimate boss. This is why we should be the best workers. This is why we should be the best electricians. We should be the best janitors. We should be the best lawn care people. We should be the best teachers in the school. We should be the best toilet cleaners. We should be the best uh, managers of people. We should be the best uh, process makers. Whatever it might be that you do, we should be the best because we should give ourselves to it to honor God with what he's honored us with, right? And then verse one, I think this is key. If you happen to be a boss in the room, I'm not gonna make you raise your hands so people who aren't won't like throw rocks at you or something. But if you happen to be a boss in the room, he says in verse one, masters, supply your slaves with what is right and what is fair, since you know too that you have a master in heaven. If you are a boss over people, remember that you have a boss. And that boss has been way more kind and generous, and merciful, and gracious to you than you deserve, right? And we should be kind and generous. I'm not talking about not holding your workers to accountability. Uh, I'm not talking about, you know, letting them off the hook when they do whatever they want. I'm saying we should also make sure they have what they need, and just as in the story last week with fathers exasperating their children by just giving them commands and not pursuing relationship, bosses, you have an opportunity to model for them what God looks like as a boss in our life that we can be generous and kind, that we can actually know them, care about them. One of the men who I respect probably more than any other man, that at least that I'm aware of in terms of a boss, is a guy who actually died not long ago, a guy named Truett Cathy. You guys probably know him better for Chick-fil-A. If you've ever read anything by Truett Cathy, you'll find that he was an amazing man. And you know why? Because he understood that he was ultimately under authority of God. And he wanted to bless his workers as God had blessed him. He honored God with his work. That's why I'm so ticked off I can't go get a chicken sandwich on Sunday, right? Because <laughs> he honors God with the Sabbath rest. He takes the day off. Like, and then I, I, I get mad and I'm like, I'm glad he does that, right? Because he gives his whole company that day off. But here's the thing. Bosses, if you're a boss, if you're a master, remember you're going to be accountable for those you lead. And that we have an opportunity to bless them and not to burden them unnecessarily. Now, I've answered the question of what redeemed work looks like, but I want to just kind of close out our time this morning talking about how that work is redeemed. How is it that work goes from the way God designed it to cursed, and now to actually we can start getting glimpses and tastes of what it's going to be like when work is reconciled back to God? when it's back in the way he intended, the new creation that he's going to lead us to. And here, here's what I think is really important. Jesus had work to do when he came onto the earth. He understands what it's like to be human. 
Uh, we know his dad was a carpenter, so he learned a carpenter trade from his dad. But we also know he had a bigger work to do, a greater work to do. John 4.34 says it this way. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his, what? Work. To finish his work. What is Jesus saying? My food is to do the will of God? He's literally saying that I am sustained in my life by doing the will of God. And that is the work that he's given me. Well, what was that work? Well, we know at the end of Jesus' life, John 19, verse 30, he's on the cross. He's about to breathe his very last breath as God with flesh, God with skin on. And as he's on the cross, he says this. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. What's finished? What is finished? Jesus' work is finished. Now, maybe that doesn't hit you as significant, especially if you're not a believer and you're here just exploring and asking questions about faith. But let me tell you the significance of that this morning and why that gives my work every day significance. And you're like, well, you're a pastor. Sure. Yeah, I get that. You know, you get paid to to pray and to do the work of the, the church and care about things like that. But what about my work? What about my work in my computer company? What about my work in this school? What about my work over here at the, at the bus stop? You know, what, whatever your work you do, this place of retail. Listen, when Jesus said on the cross, his work was finished, he meant the work of redeeming mankind. He meant the work of forgiving our sin, of fixing the curse, of undoing all that the fall had done. You see, when Jesus said, it is finished, and he breathed his last breath, he said, the work that I have done is complete. You don't have to work any longer to earn salvation. You don't have to sacrifice bulls and and animals like they did in the Old Testament. You don't have to like just try to be good enough to get into heaven. That work is finished in Jesus. You don't have to work at a place of work in order to get your significance and value and meaning. You have it in Christ because his work is finished. His work for us is finished today. I think about that this morning and I think about all the places that you guys work. Some of you travel. Some of you guys stay put in an office. Some of you work from home. And every place you go, God has put you there to fulfill his purpose for your life, to work for the bigger picture, to work. Because here's the thing, even though Jesus said it is finished, we know that he has not completely restored the world like it was in the beginning, that that day's coming in the future. And between the cross and it is finished the sacrifice that Jesus paid, and until his return when he comes back and he finalizes his work in that. We know that he's invited us to participate in his great work. His great work of what? We say it every week here, to point people to life in Jesus. God has put you at Taco Bell. God has put you at Walmart. God has put you at at Chevron. God has put you at Cisco. God has put you at wherever you are. Why? Because you have a task to do that's bigger than turning a knob, than putting some computer language in, than to, to serve some people by sweeping up the floor. It's because it has a meaning to point people to life in Christ. 
That's why your work means something. That's why in 2015, when you think about work, you don't have to just complain and loathe your work. That's why in 2015, you don't have to pursue work and overwork to find your meaning in it because that's all done. That's all settled. Now you get to do something meaningful for eternity in your work. That's what we get to do and participate in this morning and every day. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, you get to change diapers for the glory of Jesus. You get to teach your children for the glory of Jesus. You get to clean your house for the glory of Jesus. You're not left out of this. We all have work to do. And that work has eternal significance because of Christ's finished work on our behalf. If you're not a believer this morning, the invitation is simple. Trust in Christ's finished work. It will fill your whole life with meaning, not just your work. It'll fill your parenting. It'll fill your marriage. It'll fill every aspect of your life with meaning. And you will find that you will, the satisfaction you're longing for is in Christ. But if you are a believer this morning, if the Bible exists as truth and there is a reality beyond this, this reality that we tend to live in, God is calling to us this morning to see the bigger picture, to see that our work is not just, hey, let's work away and, and wait and bid our time until Jesus comes back, but to actually be engaged in the mission he's called us to today. That's what he's giving us. He's given us that opportunity That's how we can be enthusiastic in our work. That's how we can work even when our boss isn't looking over our shoulder. That's how we can be wholehearted and passionate. That's how we can use whatever we do to bring glory to Jesus. We can do it. The gospel transforms our daily grind into daily glory. Let's pray.